Welcome to another episode of Kalakai the Podcast. This is your host, Levi Fuanga. I am joined here today with Kylie Dennison, and we are pleased to have on our episode today, Dr. Ran Blimes. How are you doing today, doctor? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Awesome. Do you mind just sharing a little bit about yourself to our audience? Sure. Uh, I have been a professor in the political science department here at BYU-Hawaii for about 13 years. Uh, I specialize in international relations. Um, and the, the thing that really kind of takes my interest is, is uh, things that have to do with international development, mm-hmm. although conflict and security are also things that I've, I've done work on in the past. That's awesome. You know, um, being a political science professor and having that interest in international relations, as you know, recently the the Ukraine Russia crisis has has occurred. You know, what are your what were your initial thoughts or reactions to that upon hearing about it? I would say my initial reaction was uh, I was really kind of surprised that it actually happened. Um, you know, when we when we think about decisions that policymakers uh, have to make. We usually think about weighing the, the costs and the benefits of an action. Um, and it was a little bit difficult, going into this, it was a little bit difficult to figure out um, what Russia or, or Vladimir Putin, what kind of benefit they might get out of an invasion of Ukraine that would outweigh the costs that would almost certainly, certainly hit them. Um, and so for a long time, I kind of just thought it was a, a little bit of a bluff. Um, you know, you, Russia was saying, okay, look, we're going to put all our, our troops here so we can invade if we want to and try to get some kind of concessions or deals. But they never really tried to do that. I mean, they made some demands, but the, the demands were things that were not realistic for another country to, to give into. Um, so I, you know, I was a little surprised that that it actually happened, and uh, I'm I'm still wondering exactly what Russia thinks they're going to get out of the conflict to make it worth it. Yeah, I I agree. I was surprised too. You know, um, to hear like in the news, like this is it's been 30 years since the Cold War, right? And this is the biggest thing Russia has done since then. You know, it, it's just kind of crazy. And to hear different countries that are, are taking action against it, it's definitely the biggest thing that's happened in my lifetime um, regarding war. And it's it's kind of scary, you know. It's been kind of scary for me. Yeah, I, I mean, and it's, it's interesting that we, we think about that because um, in, in your lifetime, there have been some pretty significant conflicts, just Absolutely. not in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could look at some of the conflicts that happened between India and Pakistan, some of the conflicts that have happened in, uh, in Sub-Saharan Africa, um, but uh, they, they haven't gotten nearly as much attention. But there's also something where, um, you know, Russia is a major power, um, uh, and invading not only um, is it an invasion, but there's there's some wonder about, okay, is, is this an attempt to rewrite borders? So we had, you know, several years ago, we had a U.S. invasion of, of Iraq, especially. Um, and that was a very significant event. And that was a, that was a war. Um, it wasn't an attempt to rewrite borders. I, I'm, I'm not sure uh, that that actually makes any real difference. I mean, certainly not to the people who experienced the conflict. But... Um, you know, I, I think we have this idea that in 
Today, we don't rewrite borders through violence. That's something we study about that in the history books, but we don't change borders via violence. Um, and, and so, you know, this, this conflict stands out. Ukraine was actually part of the Soviet Union. So Russia and Ukraine were part of the same uh, political unit until 1991, when the, the Soviet Union broke apart. Um, there was actually a vote in Ukraine, and overwhelmingly, Ukraine voted for independence. So they became an independent country in, in 1991. Um, if you go and you look at Ukraine, though, this is a, a bit of an oversimplification, but you can kind of think about Ukraine as being divided uh, with, with two ethnic groups. In the eastern part of Ukraine, the dominant language is Russian. Um, so people's first language is Russian, and they consider themselves Russian. So ethnically, they're Russian. Their nationality is Ukrainian, but they consider them, they, they feel Russian. Um, if you go to the western part of the country, then their first language is Ukrainian. Um, and so they feel Ukrainian. So um, there is this, this split in the country. And there was always a, a bit of tension between East and West Ukraine. Um, and and the, the tension grew as, as more and more the, the kind of Ukrainian part of Ukraine. They, they tended towards politically and economically, they wanted to move more towards Western Europe. So they, they felt like their future was with the EU countries and that's the direction that they wanted to go. And the Western part of the country felt more akin to Russia and wanted to stay with Russia apart from Western Europe and that was, that was their future. Um, and, and so that created a lot of political conflict. Um, and then in 2014, there were a series of massive political protests that, that pushed a pro-Russian government out of office. And it was more of a pro-EU government that came in. And that was kind of a spark where, where Russia, who had been watching all of this happen, of course, Russia wants a Ukraine that is in their kind of sphere of influence. So uh, Russia, the first move there was they actually invaded and annexed the Crimean Peninsula, which gives them access to an important strategic port on the Black Sea. And then there were also a couple of, of areas in kind of southeastern Ukraine that also said, look, we don't want to be part of Ukraine anymore. We want to be independent or that maybe they want to be part of Russia, but these kind of breakaway provinces. Um, and, and Russia gave those provinces support. Russia doesn't, didn't seem to be interested in actually annexing them but also was, was really kind of happy to give them support and keep them apart politically from uh, the capital, Kyiv. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the, the background at which, you know, we've, we've been in this holding pattern since 2014, where there's been a lot of tension. Mm -hmm. Ukraine is a divided, has been a divided country. Um, and, and that set the stage for the, for the current invasion. Was President Zelensky in 2014, is that when he became president? So he was more recent than that. So he wasn't the president at, at that time. Uh, he replaced the, the per I, I believe he replaced the person who, who uh, became president then.
what's unique I think about like what's happening is that everyone is their own journalist right and what I mean by that is that everyone has a phone in their hand with access to Instagram access to social media where they can communicate what's really happening do you think that has disrupted Putin's narrative I think it has um and you know going into this it, it, it seems pretty clear that, that Putin believed that he would be able to control the narrative, that uh, we would hear the story that Russia wanted us to hear, or at least we would hear an, enough of the story that Russia wanted us to hear that there would be a lot of confusion. Um, in fact, one of the goals that, that Putin probably had in all of this was to further drive a wedge between the EU countries and especially between the EU and the United States. Um, if he can kind of exacerbate the political tensions in the US, that all is, is good for Russia. Um, and, and so I, Russia went into this thinking that they were going to be able to really kind of control what, what people were saying. And they have really, really struggled to do that. Um, they have not kept hold of the narrative. Um, you've got like a, a young tech savvy population in Ukraine. Um, and, and so, you know, the idea that everybody's a journalist with their phone, Russia thought, okay, we're going to be able to use this to disseminate misinformation. And they have not done that as well as, as um, other sources have, have been getting out the, the story of what's been going on. And so as like, as someone who's not really into politics, nor the most familiar with this issue, like what are some ways that people like us, especially who are distant from what's happening in Ukraine, like what can be the best way for us to find information that is like accurate and you know consistent with what's really going on? Okay, okay. So let me let me just touch on one thing that you said first, where you we're, we're distant from what's going on in in Ukraine and. Um, geographically speaking, we are very, it's hard to get further away from, from Ukraine than, than the, the Pacific. However, one of the, one of the things that's come out of this conflict is that, um, we're probably going to see some disruptions to the global economy. So Russia is a pretty significant producer of oil and natural gas, and we have already seen gas prices increase. The price of oil has gone up. Yeah. Um, both Russia and Ukraine are also very significant producers of food, especially wheat. And so we're likely to see the global price of wheat go up as well. Um, and, and so, you know, whether you're in Hawaii or Fiji or wherever you're at, we are going to feel some some fallout from this. So we are distant and, you know, we should all be grateful that we're in a place where uh, we're, we're safe from the direct violence. Um, but also, the way the world is these days, the global economy is, is so connected that when something big happens, even halfway around the world, we're, we are going to feel it. Um, okay, so that, that was what I wanted to say. Your, your question was um, about kind of how do you, how do you keep track of, of what's going on? Um, look, one of the things that if, if you're a, a BYU student, a BYU-Hawaii student, or really anybody, one of the skills that you really ought to think about developing is thinking about sources. 
Um, and so first thing, wherever you get your information from, your brain should be turned on and you should be thinking, right? If it seems like someone is, you know, here's something I saw on social media that says this other person on the other side of the struggle for me is absolutely ridiculous. You have to kind of question that a, a little bit, think hard about it. Um, and just because we can get anything from anyone with a phone, um, you know, turning to, to, to Twitter or TikTok for your, your information is, is a little risky. Um, so at, at least as your only source, right? So I would start with there's, um, you know, whether New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and BYU Hawaii actually has a subscription to the Wall Street Journal. So you can use your BYU credentials to log in. Um, so, uh, NPR, which, you know, they're, it's, it's national public radio, but they've got a good website. So you can look on the website. Um, they've got great podcasts politically. It's very neutral. Um, so, you know, you can plug in your, your headphones and listen while you're running or laying on the beach or, or whatever. Run to NPR. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Al Jazeera which is a, a Middle East-based um, news source, is great. They, so there's Al Jazeera English. Um, the BBC is also fantastic. Um, from Ukraine, um, you can get the, the Kyiv Independent um, and the New Voice of Ukraine. So the, the Kyiv Independent is, is a great source. Um, the New Voice of Ukraine, which actually publishes in, in English, Ukrainian, and Russian. Um, so whichever of those languages you speak, um, you know, <laughs> you can three. look at that source. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. So you can actually look for, for some sources, um, from, from Ukraine. But I, I would say an important thing is just get your, don't have one source, pull from a bunch of different places. And if, if, especially if something really doesn't agree with everything else, then that, that doesn't mean it's wrong, but it does mean that you should you should think about it a little bit, see if you can confirm it. And, and if you, same thing, if you have a good basis of information, then when stuff rolls across your social media, you're kind of better able to just to, to figure out whether, oh, does this fit with the other stuff or is this like way off base um, and, and do a better job of critically analyzing your sources. I think it's so interesting because we do have it easy in a way, right? We so much information is at our fingertips. You know, we don't have, when I'm doing a paper, I can go to Google Scholar, right? Or I can go to our library online. I don't have to go through books like my parents and my grandparents did in college, but there's a double-edged sword to that, right? And so you're, you're spot on. We have to think with our brains on. My dad often says that everyone's their own journalist now, you know, because you have to go and find your own stuff now. You can't just trust one site. You've got to go to other resources. So thank you for that. Yeah, critically analyzing the sources that you use is maybe the, one of the most important skills to being a well-informed, responsible human being, citizen, uh, whatever you want to talk about. So what do you think is going to, I know we're early on in this conflict and, and by the time this podcast comes out, there will be new stuff, right? But what do you think right now is going to be significant in our history books in the future? Oh boy. I, this, this, it's difficult to say. Yeah. Um, right now, it, it looks like, there, there's a few things that I would think about. So it looks like what Russia 
is, is trying to do is, um, in the southern part of the country, it seems like Russia is trying to build a, a land corridor that would go um, from Russia through some of the, one of the breakaway provinces and then come around and connect uh, the Crimean Peninsula. So right now, Crimean Peninsula isn't actually connected to Russia by land. So there's like a, a bridge that goes uh, from Russia to the Crimean Peninsula. So it looks like one of the things that they want is kind of this land corridor that would, that would link that up. Um, and, and this is where the, the Russian attack is actually having more success. Okay. And this is, so this is in the southern part of Ukraine. There's an attack from the north that looks like it's mostly focused on capturing Kyiv, the, yeah. the capital, um, which the, the troops that were stationed in the north, they were not as experienced, they didn't look like they were provisioned as well, and they have, they have been struggling. Um, some of the, the forces have run out of food, they've run out of fuel, there's like a big convoy that's looks set to attack Kiev and it's stuck sitting where it's at and it's these logistical problems that seem to be the, the main thing. Uh, but sitting right there is also allowing the Ukrainian forces to, to inflict damage on them. Um, but if we think about Russia capturing Kiev, I, I don't think and remember, this is, I didn't think this was going to, I didn't think that an attack was going to happen in the first place. But um, to me, Kiev seems more like a bargaining chip than anything else. If Russia captures Kiev, then they get to say, okay, what will you give us if, if we withdraw and, and give back? Will you give us this territory in the south if we give you back the capital that we're in control of or some other kinds of concessions? But that's a guess. Um, you know, it's pretty difficult to, to figure out what, what Putin and the Russian decision makers are thinking. They're, they're not very open um, with their discussions. <laughs> they don't put this on the front news? They, <laughs> I mean, they, they put things on the front news, but uh, yeah. they, they put what they want you to hear on right, the front their news. narrative. Um, yeah, Putin is still saying that, yeah, everything is going as we planned. And that clearly is not the case. Um, don't don't get me wrong. Russia has an advantage, and if if Russia wants to win this conflict, they will win this conflict. But they've struggled in the in the early part. Actually, to, today though, um, Russia really kind of started stepping up their attacks on civilian forces. So, yeah, they they struggled, and they kind of upped their 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 tactics a, a little bit, and they they've now taken a city um, in the south. Um, yeah, it was their, their first major metropolitan center they, they took. Um, an, another, th uh, an interesting thing where, again, Putin, like, really wanted to create division. NATO especially has come together. It's almost like NATO has been sitting around for a couple of decades going, what the heck are we supposed to do? <laughs> what's our purpose again? What, yeah, what's <laughs> our purpose? We were a Cold War, you know, Soviet Union, and now what do we have to do? And all of a sudden NATO is like, wow, there's a threat out there. Let's come together. Um, let's, uh, you know, it's, it's almost revitalized NATO, which is the exact opposite of, of what Putin was, was hoping. Um, right. So I, I hope, you know, what the future history books don't say is this is the start of, you know, Cold War 2.0. Um, 
but it you know it's it's definitely possible because um, there there are these lines that that have been drawn um, and again we haven't seen we haven't seen borders in Europe shifted via war for quite some time um, and and so uh, again if if that if if Ukraine's borders are changed by war does that mean that other leaders may think about, oh, I really like this territory or that territory. Yeah. And, you know, the question with this kind of thing is, is always if, if you're the leader and, you know, you have some hunk of territory and I want it, then the question is, you know, can I get away with it? Can I can I get something of value without having to pay a cost that's that's greater than than what I paid? Um, but we we are seeing the, the international response to to the Russian invasion has has mostly been either symbolic gestures or sanctions. But the sanctions are they came surprisingly quick and they were surprisingly tough. And they are going to they are already pounding the Russian economy. Um, so you know, this may be something where Putin thought that he wouldn't get this kind of, of really kind of strong cooperation. And the EU is leading the way. And the costs on uh, sanctions on Russia are most costly for the EU countries. And the EU has been right out in front um, in terms of, of pushing for, for strong sanctions. So it, it is like it's a surprisingly high cost that, that Putin has had to pay, which may mean that anyone else who's thinking about the this kind of move thinks oh, okay so you know is whatever whatever area i'm thinking about grabbing with my military is it worth the world coming together to destroy my economy in order to take that and look there there may be some cases where countries say yeah if we don't have this this thing that we want then you know, maybe where it's a security risk, we're a danger, but for the most part, there's just not a whole lot that's worth, you know, a, an economic suicide, committing economic suicide in order to obtain something else. So, you know, we, we may come out of this with, uh, hey, look, the, the world is pretty united in, in condemning this kind of conflict. Um, if the U.S. thought it would face this kind of, of pushback, maybe it wouldn't have invaded Iraq, um, and, and that war wouldn't have been, uh, wouldn't have been fought. So, um, and that's, that's a long shot. It's, hard, it's harder to sanction the U.S. than it is to sanction Russia for a variety of reasons. But, um, you know, maybe this kind of surprising unity in terms of a, a condemnation and, and inflicting economic costs mean that countries say, okay, war is even more costly than we, we thought it was before, and, and so it becomes even less likely. That's the optimist uh, I like in, the in optimist. me. And, <laughs> you know, the, the pessimist could win out as well, but there, there are also um, possibilities that, that uh, are not as pessimistic. Um, of course, uh, you know, we, we want to, we want to, just kind of mention that if you're in Ukraine, then you're making this sacrifice. And so, you know, oh, your blood, your suffering means that future war might go down. That's that's little comfort if if you're the one in, in uh, immediate danger. Yeah, for sure. 
Well, thank you so much for these comments. You know, this idea of changing borders is just so foreign to me, right? And to a lot of people my age, it's just not something we've ever had to deal with. Like it hasn't even been a question in my mind. And so hearing you talk has been really enlightening for me. So thank you for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, of course. We did ask you to come prepared with some resources of how we can help Ukrainians. And you're welcome to tell us a few of them now, and we'll link it in our podcast description as well. So if you want to support Ukraine, um, there's a few things I, I would suggest. If, if you want to give a donation, then I, I will um, leave with you a, a list of, of places where you can, you can donate to. Um, let me also say that when we're thinking about supporting Ukraine, um, the average Russian had nothing to do with this. Yeah. Don't, you know, if you run into a, a, a Russian person on the street, they didn't invade Ukraine. Please, you know, be kind to people. Um, that's great to know. Yeah. That's good advice. Um, and I, and I think that's, that's an important thing to talk about. We, we, we want to show support for Ukraine. We want to be behind Ukraine. That doesn't mean we be against all Russian individuals. We can, we can oppose what the Russian government has done without hating Russians. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that's been shown in history, right, with, with um, World War II and the U.S. treating Japanese people awfully, right? We read that in their history books, and we see now that that's not okay, right? That's happened a few other times. Um, and so thank you for that call out. And Seasiders, thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week.